Go Spartans! <laughs> That's how desperate I am to be a part of a winning franchise. Unbelievable weekend. But I'm so thankful for the Tigers, thankful for the Wolverines. Not everyone's going to always come through, but it kind of, it kind of puts out there the focus of this weekend, which is on the reality that there are two kinds of people. There are those who are positive. We're going to win the World Series. <laughs> Never happened before, but we're going to do it. Or those who are negative. It'll never work. You know, that kind of deal. There are positive and negative people. The, there are the glasses half full kind, and there are the glasses half empty kind of people. And I have to tell you something that's a little weird maybe just about me. One of the many things, for those of you who know me, that's weird about me is that both types of people, you know, the, the negative kind and the positive kind, can really bug me. I mean, both kinds, especially when they, they take it to the extreme. I mean, doesn't it just grate you when someone is hyper-pessimistic or hyper-optimistic? And so for me, a little odd perhaps, I have a problem with both the extreme Eeyore people and the extreme Tigger-type people. I mean, I really do. And of course, the Eeyore pessimist is is an obvious one to kind of bristle against. Because who wants to be around someone who by their own choice, it's almost like they have a dysfunctional need for a black cloud. Who wants to always be around someone with a black cloud over their head? No one. There's enough black clouds in this world without making best friends with someone who makes them up. Of course this is obvious, but for me, it's not just the Eeyores. The same is true with the optimistic tiggers of this world. You know, all that bouncing, all that bright side of life kind of stuff, it just, it can literally be like sandpaper in my soul, like fingernails on a chalkboard. And it shouldn't be this way. I have to admit, it shouldn't be this way. It's, it's obvious that the black cloud people, you know, you don't want too much of that, but but we should all kind of embrace those people who are able to express sunshine even in the midst of darkness. We should all kind of be drawn to and compelled by the, the bright side of life people. And yet I'm not. And so I've had to do some analysis of my own psyche. And I've, I think I've figured out why that even the Tigger people can be irritating to me at times. And the first reason, there are two, the first reason really has to do with my own issues. The problem is with me. And the fact is that, that when I'm not doing well, when my attitude's a little bit rocky, when I'm allowing myself to go with the circumstances and feel a bit down, why would I want someone bouncing with happy, optimistic cliches near me? It just highlights and shines a light on my own negativity at that moment. This is the way I look at it. Why would I want to experience the full force of sunshine when I, by choice, have chosen to crawl under a rock and live with the worms and the centipedes and the roly-polies? I mean, I, it's just... So this is my problem, and I have to admit it. When I'm not doing well, who wants to be around people who are doing well? My issue. But the second reason I have a problem with hyper-optimistic people 
It has nothing to do with my problems. It has to do with a common problem in them. When someone is extremely optimistic, quite frankly, more often than not, they're fakes. I mean, they're making believe. It can be pitch black outside, and they can be going, isn't the sun beautiful today? No, it's not. I understand somewhere in the world it's shining. It's just not shining here right now. And they're literally having to fake it. These are the people, if you think about it, who they're saying the right words. They're putting on the right smile. It's just that they're not living it. And here's the reality. It's easy to say positive things, and it's easy to put on a positive smile, but it's not so easy to live out a positive life in the midst of trouble. And when someone is saying the right words and wearing the right smile but not living the life, it's just downright annoying to me. Who wants to be around a superficial, unbelievable human being? Bouncing on the outside, but you know they're weeping on the inside. It's like they're, they're trying to present something to the world that's not real on the outside. It's fake. Now, how many of you, and I know it's tough to go on record, but how many would agree with me that hyper-pessimistic people and hyper-positive people just irritate you? Would you raise your hand? Okay, it's about half of you. The rest of you... You're the people we get irritated by. Because you're going, what's wrong with me? That, that right there, that's what's wrong with you. We, we really need a stroke of reality. Now, all of this is to paint a little hyperbole around a reality. Sadly, the way I feel towards optimistic people, the way I've just expressed it, is how a lot of people feel about Christians. It really is. Because they've experienced Christians who have the positive words of faith, and they've experienced Christians who have the positive smile of faith, but at the same time, they don't see the positive behavior of faith in these people. And it annoys them. I mean, it literally repels them. People who say the words of joy and put on the smile of joy when they're experiencing circumstances that are great, but the minute the circumstances go bad, their life doesn't bear out joy when the promise of God isn't that we'd have joy during good times. Who doesn't have joy during good times? The promise is that we could have joy in the midst of trial. I mean, to hear the, the positive words of faith about peace in Jesus, and they, they see the positive smile of peace in Jesus, but they see it during peaceful times. But the minute life turns upside down, and it's no longer ideal circumstances, the peace goes away, which means it's peace like everyone has. But Jesus said that we could have peace that passes understanding, that belies reality, that we could have peace in the midst of the storm. And so just as I can get irritated by the people who seem to have so much optimism that they're divorced from reality, that they're living fake lives, so many people look at Christians and say, easy words, non-existent life. In fact, the truth is the reason many people follow Jesus for a while and then disappear is because they get tired of pretending on the outside something that's not real on the inside. The reason that so many 
don't ever buy the message of Jesus is because they see it as something that's talked about on the outside but not real on the inside. And if we're honest, a lot of times this is the way we experience it. That's why when you ask people what their problem with Christianity is, the number one answer is really, it's just a bunch of hypocrites. And I think it's an overgiven explanation. I think it's an easy excuse for themselves to, to not face down the reality of their own lives and the issues. They're not even willing to admit their own hypocrisy. But this is the number one thing, and we give them reason because very often we're expressing on the outside that which we're not living out on the inside, and they know it. It's hypocrisy. And if we're really honest, we're all hypocrites along the way. Where what we are on the outside isn't measuring up to what we are on the inside. There's an inconsistent thing between our inside and our outside. And some, though they want it badly, never experience on the inside what they're trying to put on the outside. They put religion on the outside, but they never experience God on the inside. And it's a mess. But here's the good news. It doesn't have to be this way. It really doesn't. Though it is for a lot of people, it doesn't have to be this way. Though it has been for me and it might have been for you along the way, it doesn't have to be. So as we bring this series, plus minus, in for a landing this weekend, I'm really going to leave you with a, I believe, a life-changing important truth. It's not going to be the easiest of talks for me to give or for you to hear, but it's going to be important. Here's the truth. Faith, faith, which doesn't result in life change is worthless. The important thing about faith is not saying the word faith. The important thing about faith is not pretending on the outside that we have what we're not experiencing on the inside. Faith that literally does not result in a transformation of who we are inside and out. Faith that does not result in true life change is worthless. And this isn't something I'm just making up. This is something God has said. And I want to say on the front end, I wish, I wish that you could come in and I could just, you know, be your cheerleader and say, everything's great, you're great, everything's okay, everything's positive, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow without expressing reality. But pretending reality doesn't exist doesn't help any of us. And I'm tired of of these people who hype us in the moment but don't help us in our lives. And the only way we can help each other is by telling each other the truth and then starting from there. It's not good enough to claim faith. It's not good enough to display faith if we don't really experience transformation on the inside. And this is my fear. With a lot of Christianity, this is my fear as a possible consequence to what God is doing here at Northridge, that many of you would come in and you'd be adjusting the outside and you'd be adjusting the words, you'd be putting on the positive smile of faith and the positive words of faith, but not experiencing the transformation that Jesus came to give you, which is ultimately worthless. Faith, if it doesn't result in life change, is worthless. Instead of just listening to me, listen to what God said through James chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers, if a person claims to have faith, you know, they put on the words of faith, but they have no deeds, their life doesn't match it. Can that kind of faith be saving faith? Now, what he's saying is, you need to know, you can't earn salvation. That's why Jesus came. He lived the perfect life you failed to live, and I failed to live. He then died on the cross because the wages of our sin is death. He died in our place, and then he rose again to give us the chance at new life, a new start. Only he 
can redeem us. Only he can save us. But what James is saying here is, if all you do is speak about faith, but you don't experience the redemption, the transformation of Jesus, is that the kind of faith that really saves you? No. That's hypocrisy. It's not true. And then he gives an example. James chapter 2 again. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and and daily food. They have great need. If one of you says to him, and this happens all the time, if one of you says to him, remember, positive words, positive smile, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. In the 21st century, we would add, I'll be praying for you. You know? But they do nothing about their physical needs. They do nothing to help. What good is that? And the obvious answer is, No good at all. And and then look at what God says. In the same way, faith, if all it is are words, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by life change, by action, is dead. Faith, if it's not accompanied with the result of life change, is of no value. And this is what I believe many of us are chasing down. How come I don't experience the meaning, the love, the purpose, the significance, the sense of of what God has promised me in my life? How come I don't do it? Because I'm saying the words and I'm putting on the smile. It's because faith without true life change is of no value for you and for others. Many are not buying into Jesus because they don't see the reality of Jesus in us. They hear our words. They don't see change. And so we need to make an adjustment here. And this is where a lot of people get confused. I thought that if I followed Jesus, many say, that, you know, I would start living my life more successfully. I thought that if I put my faith in him and said a little prayer that, that I would live my life successfully. But you need to know that it's so much more than that. In fact, you need to know the reality. The reality is that it's possible for people to believe in Jesus, to put their faith in Jesus, to, to allow him to forgive them for their past, and yet to still fail at living like him. It's possible. In fact, this is where many are. They've put their faith in Jesus, but then they're failing to live like him, to live out his promises, to live out of his, his life. This is what was going on in the city of Corinth in the Apostle Paul's day. Look at what he wrote to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 3. Brothers, and when you see the word brothers, it's talking about people who have already received Jesus. They've been given the right to become children of God because they've put their faith in him. Brothers, I could not speak to you as I wanted to as spiritual people, but rather I had to speak to you as worldly people, as if you were just infants in Christ. And how do I know this? Because of your actions. You're filled with jealousy and quarreling and division and conflict. And because of this, he says... Are you not more worldly than spiritual? Are you not more like those without Christ than those with Christ? And then he finally says, are you not acting like mere man? Aren't you acting like people who've never met Jesus? And the answer is yes. Even though they put their faith in Jesus, they're still failing to live like him. As if yesterday's faith makes today's life, and it doesn't. It is true that at one point in our life, we have to express faith for the very first time in Jesus But then it takes a daily choice of expressing faith in him or we begin failing. It is not a one-time event. It is an everyday deal. 
Yesterday's choices do not ultimately repeat themselves today. We have to intentionally do it again. Think about marriage, if you would. A marriage is not made because yesterday or many yesterdays ago you said, I do. Do you see the state of marriage in our culture, in the world? Every one of them said, I do. It's just along the way they stopped saying it. And when they stopped saying it, they stopped experiencing love and marriage. The same thing is true with God. You can't see it as an every week event. You can't see it as a a 10 year ago event. This is an everyday event. We need to embrace him, which brings me to the application as we conclude this series. If you wanna live on the plus side, and you can, you can experience an unbelievably positive life even in the midst of a very negative world but it requires daily choosing, daily choosing to express outwardly what you're experiencing inwardly. We need to daily express outwardly what Jesus is doing inwardly in our lives, or else we will not experience the place side in spite of our words and our smile. You see, genuinely following and experiencing Jesus Christ demands both of these things. It demands experiencing on a daily basis Jesus inwardly and then on a daily basis making the choice to express him outwardly. That's the life. And if any of one of those isn't happening, we're experiencing not the plus side but the minus side, the inconsistency of life. We need them both. Look at how God says it in Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, which was messed up, to put it off, to get rid of it, to to put it off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And you were taught to make the choice to be made new in the attitude of your minds. You are supposed to be continually inviting Jesus to do his work in you, to give you a renewed mind, a renewed heart, a renewed look at life. And then when he does, to put on the new self, make the choice to express it outwardly. Because you're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If either of these things is missing, the inward experience of Jesus working, the outward expression of what he's doing, if either of those things is missing, there's something wrong. And I'm going to tell you, there are lots of days there's something wrong with me. And I bet you there are lots of days there's something wrong with you. And maybe you haven't identified it. This is the issue. Daily we need to choose to let him work inwardly so that we can then express it outwardly. Otherwise, we fail to look like him. The question is, what's that look like? I mean, what does it require for me to daily be experiencing him inwardly and then expressing him outwardly so that I can be experiencing the plus side? Well, I want to pick that apart for you this weekend. And I'm going to tell you, this is a lot of stuff to process. But you have a lot of time to process it, Lord willing. And I encourage you, don't see it as this moment, but take what we talk about in this moment and then take it into the arena of your life and analyze yourself. Here's the first thing. If we're going to live on the plus side of life, it demands that we daily, not yesterday, not when church shows up or we go to it once in a while, but daily, we need to daily choose to let Jesus do his work in us. I am so thankful that many of you have chosen to step across the line of faith here. I'm so thankful that many of you have decided that you're going to, to, you know, believe that Jesus can forgive your sins and move into your own world. But just know, that choice made yesterday isn't enough. I mean, that began the relationship, but you need to continue the relationship on a daily basis. 
You need to make the choice each day to let Jesus do his work in you. And if you're here and you're searching out the reality of Jesus, we've already been honest that some of us are very inconsistent. All of us sometimes, some of us all the time, um, are inconsistent in expressing Jesus. But when you come to faith, and it's my prayer you will, you need to know it's not a one-time thing. It's, it's a starting the relationship and then continuing it. Look at how the Bible says it, if you would, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works, what? In you. That was unacceptable. <laughs> For it is God who works in you. That's right, in you. And what's he do when he works in you? He, he works in you to change your will, to change your desires, to change what you long for, to match with his good purpose. And then when what you will and desire changes to match his good purpose, then he works in you so that you bring that to action, to act. It is God working in you to will first and then to act according to his good purpose. We must daily choose to let him do his work so that our desires will be transformed, so that our actions will be transformed, so we will experience his good purposes. And if we're not doing it on a daily basis, we're not experiencing his good purposes. We're experiencing our own purposes. And to be honest with you, though they might seem good in the moment, they are not ultimately good. We need to choose to let him do his work in us. And if you've been a part of this series, then you know what we've talked about. If you haven't, please catch up. We give it away on northridgechurch.com and you can watch our online demand talks. The last two weeks in particular talk about how we choose to let him do his work in us. The first is through positive exposure to his word. We live in a world where there's all kinds of negative exposure and the way to counteract that is by letting his truth set us free, letting his truth give us the right lens to look through and to experience this world in. And then as we saw last weekend, we need to open our lives daily to his spirit to literally transform our attitudes so that they're reworked, our characters reshaped. And I hope you'll check those out. Daily choose to let Jesus do his work in you. This last week, is that what you did? See, I find a lot of times believers say, you know, I'll make the choice to go to church this weekend. Okay. Big deal. Unless you allow that to motivate you to experience change in your everyday. Coming here this weekend will not change you unless what you experience here motivates you to make different choices every day this week. This last week, did every day you get up and say, if Jesus doesn't work in me, I won't experience the good purposes of God in my life? Or did you just think, you know, I'm a Christian. You need to make the choice. If we're going to live on the plus side of life, then, then we need to daily, daily choose to embrace the attitudes of Christ instead of our natural attitudes, which will always be present and wanting to rear their ugly heads. And we need to daily choose to embrace the actions of Christ. Daily. Now, I'm really sorry because I, I, I know what it's like to sit there and listen to this kind of stuff. Remember, I'm having to wrestle with this myself. And, and you're going... I don't want it to be that much work. I get it. But it is that much work. It's just worth it. 
Daily, we have to choose to embrace his attitudes or we will express our own and it will lead to bad behavior. Daily, we need to choose to express his actions or we will express our own and it will lead to self-destruction. Look at how the Bible says it. In Philippians 2, it's talking about how we're not supposed to just serve ourselves, we're supposed to serve others. We're not supposed to only think about ourselves, we're supposed to think about others. And this is how, Philippians 2, verse 5, if you're going to do that, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. If you want to serve others like Jesus, you need the attitude of Jesus. If you want to think about others like Jesus, you need the attitude of Jesus. You need to embrace the attitude of Christ. And then John 13, 15 says, but having the attitude is not enough. It needs to be expressed outwardly. Jesus said this, I have set you an example. Jesus is talking, I have set you an example that you should, what? I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Don't we want an experience instead of an action? I do. I want to come to church, feel really good, leave and live my life. The only problem is that's not how it works. The only way we experience the good purposes of God, the plus side of life, is if we make the hard choice to do what Jesus did. And most aren't. I mean, this is just fact. Often with me, often with you. Uh, So let me give you an example because it's the example where the rub is most experienced by me. I mean, it's one thing to give cold words of principle. It's another to show you how it works. Jesus says, if you want to do right, you've got to have my attitude. But then once you have my attitude, you need to do as I've done for you. So let's just take the example of one attitude. And we'll take a big attitude, all right? Love. There's really not a bigger attitude. We embrace love. Look at music. Most music is defined by love. Most arts, you know, are speaking of love. Most books, you know, love is a big part of it. Most media, love's a big deal. Well, you need to know love was the primary characteristic of Jesus, love. It's what brought him from heaven to earth. The Bible defines God as love because it's his primary characteristic and attitude. So let's look at this attitude, love. We're supposed to have the attitude of love. How is it supposed to work itself out? Look at Jesus in John 14, 15. This is what he says. If you truly love me, if you really have the attitude of great love for me, he says, you'll do what I command. You'll obey what I command. Now realize the great commandment that Jesus gave us that can make all of life work well is if we love God and love others. So we're supposed to have this attitude of love for Jesus, this attitude of love for God. But let me ask you, according to Jesus himself, what does the attitude of love result in? I know it's hard because it's three seconds since I read John 14, 15. The attitude of love results in obeying Jesus. If I really love Jesus, I'm not just going to sing songs about it and put a smile love you, Love Jesus. Like Tigger. If I really have the attitude of love for Jesus, I'm going to obey him. And yet many who use the positive words of love and put on the smile of love live in total disregard to his commandments. They do whatever they freaking want to do. And I'm just going to tell you right now, that's hypocrisy. Because this I know. If I claim to love Jesus, but disregard what he says, I'm lying. And the same is true with all of us. 
And this is why I believe so many of us aren't experiencing the good purposes of God in our life. It's because we're good with the words. It's just we're not allowing them to transform our lives. Now, this isn't easy to hear, but it's important to hear. Now let's take love to the next thing. The great commandment says not only are we supposed to love God, which leads to obedience, but we're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. We're supposed to have the attitude, the true attitude, as God has, of love for others. That's what the Bible says. So if I have and truly embrace the attitude of love for other people, what will be the action result of that? Well, let's just let God answer the question. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. If I really love others, this is what God says. Love is... Let's not read this passage after all. It's so much easier to say, I love people, than it is to be patient with people. I mean, I say, I really love people, but before I blink my eye, after the light turns green, I'm honking my horn and hitting the bumper of the person in front of me. But love is supposed to produce patience. But we embrace the words of love, but not the true attitude of love, because the true attitude leads to the action of patience. Do you see it? This is tough. My wife was not allowed to come to church this weekend because I knew I'd be talking about this stuff on love, and I didn't want her to hear what I'm supposed to be like, just so you know. I mean, this isn't easy, but it's true. Look, look at it goes on. Not only is love patient, but when you truly embrace the attitude of love, it's kind. Ouch. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, this just grieves me. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres. In fact, when you really embrace the true attitude of love as Christ did, even in the worst of moments, it never fails. Do you see why Christianity is easier to talk about than it is to live? But faith, if it doesn't result in life change, is worthless. What good is it to talk about love but not really love? What good is it to talk about fulfillment but to live a life of emptiness? We need to... We need to every day choose to let Jesus do his work in us, and we need to every day choose to embrace his attitudes and his actions, or we're just playing a game. And if I can tell you here, if all you're doing is playing a game, then Christianity is going to affect you no more than playing the game of Monopoly. But if you want the real thing, you need to daily choose to embrace it, and it will transform you. If we really want to live on the plus side of life, then we need to daily choose. It's the only way to make this possible. We need to daily choose to act according to choice rather than circumstance. If I'm really going to every day choose to let Jesus do his work in me, which isn't the easiest choice, and if every day I'm going to choose to embrace his attitudes and his actions, then I have to on on an everyday basis, choose to act by choice and not by circumstances. And here's why. Some days the circumstances will lend themselves 
for me wanting to choose Jesus. And some days the circumstances of life will be such that it will make me not want to choose Jesus. But circumstances can't guide me. Choice has to guide me. And I believe too many of us flow with the ebb of choice on circumstance instead of choice on character. I mean, it's so important to get this. Look at Peter was this way. Peter, like all of us, wanted to impress Jesus. When he, fell in, when he loved Jesus and decided to follow him, he, he wanted to impress him. And in Jesus' day, rabbis, who were good rabbis, would say, you know, forgiving someone three times, three strikes and they're out, you're not going to forgive them beyond that. So Peter, having heard about Jesus, you know, and followed Jesus and listened to his teaching and heard all this stuff about forgiveness and realized Jesus was, you know, saying more. So he came to impress Jesus one day in Matthew 18. Look at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? When someone wrongs me, how many times should I forgive them? And then he really tries to impress Jesus up to seven times. He multiplied what a good rabbi would say by two and added one for security. He thought Jesus would bow down and kiss his feet and say, finally, someone gets it. But then look at what Jesus said in verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. The limits of your forgiveness should never run out because forgiveness is not based upon circumstance. It's based upon choice. When we say, I'm sorry, they've wronged me one too many times, what are we allowing to dictate our soul? Circumstance. And Jesus says, no, it's a choice. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to align up and be best friends with people who constantly hurt us. Forgiveness isn't about putting ourselves in harm's way. It's about letting people off the hook, not allowing our heart to be captured and owned with anger for someone else's activity. Forgiveness. And we need to do it by choice, not by circumstance. If you and I can't get to the place where we live our life by choice instead of circumstance, we will never experience the plus side because circumstances will always go wrong. You're going to have some good times, but you're always going to have bad times. Bad stuff happens. You can't go with the circumstances. Let me just give you a very real world right now example. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Tigers are in the World Series. Well, not really in it. And I love the Tigers, and we have some Tigers that come here, and I love you guys, but really, you know? I, I thought we were going to smoke them after the whole New York series, you know? I thought when we came home, okay, they won at home, but when they come home, they're winning game three. Man, there's just no way. We're going to win. Ouch. And then you throw on top of that the Wolverines. Oh, and listen, I love the Wolverines, and, you know, some people from the Wolverines organization come here. I love them. Not attacking, but really... I wanted the Tigers to win yesterday, and I wanted the Wolverines to win yesterday, and it didn't happen. And quite frankly, if the Tigers and Wolverines had won, I would have loved it if the Spartans had lost. That would have been the way it should have gone. <laughs> but no, Tigers lose, Wolverines lose, Spartans win. Does it get any worse, you know? And if I was ruled by my circumstances, I wouldn't have shown up today. I would have been on drugs. I would have been bathing in my misery but no I, I'm here because I don't live by choice I live I don't live by circumstance I live by choice <laughs> and I'm perfect and I never make mistakes that was a planned mistake so you'd know that sometimes life goes wrong for you that kind of deal look at James chapter 1 verse 2 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. There's only one way you can do that. Don't live by circumstance, live by choice. And yet we live by circumstances, don't we? This is a big deal. Now you may be saying to me, especially you Spartan fans, you may be saying to me, well, you know, you think that the tigers are the greatest in the world and you think the wolverines are the greatest in the world. Well, how do you explain them losing? Here's how I do it. The ways of God are mysterious, my friends. All right, if we're going to live on the plus side of life, if we're going to really live on the plus side of life, we need to daily choose to evaluate ourselves because it's impossible for us to live by choice, to daily choose to let Jesus do his work in us and to daily choose to embrace his attitudes and express his actions if we're not daily evaluating ourselves because it's easy to get off track. In fact, I find it's easy for me to be way off track and not know I'm off track. And the reason is because I'm not the most introspective person by nature. And so, by strategy, I have to choose to sit down with my journal and evaluate where I'm at so I don't get too off track because I have found that if I follow the natural course of life, I can be 20 miles off track and experiencing the explosive destruction of my bad choices before I even knew I got off path. The only way we can do this is if daily we'll start evaluating ourselves. Where am I as it relates to letting Jesus work in me? Where am I as it relates to truly embracing the attitudes of Christ? Where am I as it relates to expressing outwardly the actions of Christ? Where am I? Do I say love but don't show love? 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, if we just judged ourselves, if we just evaluated ourselves, we would not come under judgment. We wouldn't fall to the crisis of our own self-destruction. We wouldn't experience, you know, um, bad judgment if we would evaluate ourselves before it came. Now, of course, it's hard for us to see ourselves objectively all the time. This is why we have to invite people into our lives who help us to see ourselves through their eyes and not just our own. And we need to be willing to listen to that. That's why a wise man becomes wiser at the rebuke of someone else, but the fool becomes a bigger fool because won't listen to anybody. We, we need to evaluate ourselves, and we need to invite people that are trustworthy and people who love us and know us in to help. But ultimately, the only way I've found that I can be honest about myself is if God helps me to see myself as I am. And the psalmist got this. Look at Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. This is a prayer. Test me, God, and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offending way in me. Lead me in the right way, in the way everlasting. I think every day we need to invite God in to help reveal who we really are. God, I'm saying words of faith. Am I living a life of faith? And then adjust, which is the next one. If I'm going to live a plus-side life, then I need to daily choose, daily choose to make the appropriate and necessary changes in my life. We're not walking perfectly. We're not. And so every day we need to make the appropriate and necessary changes so that we can be on track. When was the last time you did this? When was the last time? Now, if we're going to ultimately make the right changes, I think they fall into three categories. The first one is this. If we're going to make the right changes when we evaluate ourselves and we see how we've been living and haven't been living. The first change deals with confession. Confession. Where we acknowledge 
that we've been selfish instead of unselfish, that we've been pursuing our attitudes instead of his, that we've been using words but haven't been living the life. Confession. Now, I know that some of you, this is kind of a confusing deal, I mean, some of you grew up in a religious um, setting where you would do, like, real confession to a, a, a person, and I'm not condemning that or anything, but, but in fact, quite frankly, if I had that little box where you could do confession, I, I'd love to learn those things about you. It would be very, very helpful, but that's, um, that's not what this is about. Confession, it's about acknowledging, in all honesty, who you are and who you've been before God and then letting him do the cleansing. Look at 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins, to purify us from all of our bad choices, our unrighteousness. And the only way I can overcome the destructive realities of what I am on my own is by acknowledging my need for him. And it happened the first time years and years ago when I opened my life to Christ, but it has to happen on a daily basis where I say, God, I, I think I've been talking more about your love than living it. I think I've been, you know, talking about you more than experiencing you. I need to experience you. Forgive me. And I believe every believer here has baggage that you need to confess and let go of and acknowledge or else you'll never experience the bright side, the, the plus side. But some of you are here right now and you've never opened your life the first time with confession. You've never acknowledged for the first time that you need God, you need what Jesus did for you. And so in this moment, I'm going to give believers a chance to spend a little time talking to God, and I'm going to invite those of you who haven't yet opened your life to him to pray with me. So if you, just before I close the talk, bow with me in a word of prayer. And as we bow, I just want to ask those of you who've never openly confessed to God your need for him and your mess with him, pray with me. Just say, God, I confess it. I acknowledge to you that my life on the inside is very different than my life on the outside. I confess to you the junk, the shame, the guilt, the darkness within, the sin. And I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for my sin. By faith, I'm asking you to forgive me. And I believe you rose again. And by faith, I'm embracing that new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me, please let us know. We put together a letter that can help you take next steps and navigate through next steps in your relationship with God. But we just need to know that you prayed with me. And so, in the programs that we hand you in our live services here at Plymouth and Brighton Howell and Ann Arbor Saline, there's this connection card inside. And you just take it out. You fill it out, and on the bottom, you check off the circle that says, today I prayed to receive Jesus in my life. And if that's you, well, it's easy to get to us. There are boxes at every exit. Just throw it in there, and we'll send you that letter. And if you're watching church online, there's a what next box right on your computer screen. Hit that. We'll do the same thing for you. But there's another change. Once we go through this stuff, if we're really going to make the right adjustments, once we experience confession, then we need to experience Submission. Submission. I mean, look at James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the evil one, the devil, and he'll flee from you. Every single day, not only are we supposed to make sure our life is rightly aligned with him through confession, we're supposed to every day submit. This is why Jesus taught us to pray this daily. You're our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know what that phrase is? It's a phrase of submission. 
I don't want to build my kingdom. I want to build your kingdom. I don't want to be doing my will. I want to be doing your will. For that to happen, you need to be doing your work in me to change my will. And you need to be doing your work in me to change my actions. Submission to God. I believe the days that I get off target are the days that I don't evaluate myself and that I don't confess where I'm off and I don't submit myself to God. This is not a yesterday deal. This is a day deal. When was the last time you intentionally submitted to God's way instead of yours. It's choice. And then finally, action. This is a huge change because what happens is we tend to become passive. I believe over time, most Christ followers become passive. You know, they react to when they're in a moment of worship with other people. They react and pray when other people are praying. They react. It's a very passive thing. But the Christian life is supposed to be proactive. We're supposed to take action. If our lives are really changing on the inside, if Jesus is really doing a work on the inside, then we should be expressing changes on the outside. And here's the interesting thing. Some people who claim to be the most mature Christ followers haven't changed in years. Well, let me tell you, you might have put in more time than other people, but if you haven't changed in years, that means Jesus hasn't worked in your life in years because you can't experience Jesus working in your life without experiencing change. It's not about staying the same. Staying the same. It's about becoming more like Jesus. It takes daily choices and daily change. Look at Ephesians 4.24 again. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So remember the truth. Faith can change your life. Faith is the means to life and fullness. But faith, if it doesn't result in life change, is worthless. But it doesn't have to be worthless. Because if we daily choose to express outwardly what Jesus is doing inwardly, we're going to experience God's best in our life on a daily basis, even if we experience the world's worst. So here's my encouragement. Let's just do it so we don't regret it. Let's just do it. Now, before I get you out of here, uh, two things I want to encourage you on. The first thing, the glory of Christmas. Now, some of you have seen the glory of Christmas, some of you haven't. For those of you who have seen the glory of Christmas, I want you to know you really haven't seen the glory of Christmas because the one we're doing this year is a unique experience. We've totally transformed what the glory of Christmas is going to be. I believe it's going to be of a greater impact and a greater power to help share the hope of Christ. It's going to be different. You don't want to miss it yourself, but you don't want to miss inviting people who desperately need to hear the hope of Jesus. And so as the tickets now have gone out to the public, before all the seats go, please don't procrastinate. Get tickets, as many as you can buy, for friends to get the right people here to hear about the hope of Jesus. You know who needs them. Bring them here. And if you can't afford to buy any more tickets, you've already bought all you can, at least encourage them to buy their own tickets and to buy tickets for their family to get them here because it will change their lives. Last point of encouragement, next weekend we start a new series. It's called 16 Words. I believe this is a series that can literally change the entire environment of what God does at Northridge in you and in me. It's going to be a, a very important series, 16 words. Hope you'll invite people. Hope you'll be here. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.